This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, welcome to the Friday Twilight Show with me, Maxine House. It's the first show I've done for a few weeks, so it's going to be it's really good to be back, actually. So really excited tonight to be talking all things racial equity and joining me shortly will be Unleashing Me himself, Sophian Safiq. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Really exciting to be back. Slightly nerve-wracking, I have to say, having taken a bit of a break. So really excited to be back here and to be joining you again on Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome to um, The Twilight Show with me, Maxine Howes, on Friday the 22nd of September. So this evening's show is all about racial equity. Hello Claire, really great to see you. Thank you for joining in. So really, really pleased to see you. And and Claire, I've just been saying, um, really, really nervous um, having just joined again. Feel, feels like the first show all over again, but I'm sure I'll get straight back into it. So this evening's topic of, of racial equity is a really, really tough one. And um, I'll, I'll be totally honest, it's something that I do. I found quite hard to write about and I I find quite um, challenging to talk about. And and I always believe in setting oneself a challenge. So so here we go. So I was was prompted, really. um, My background in coaching, as you know, I've, I've written a lot about barriers. So one of the things that I found a most fascinating barrier is this whole barrier that is getting in the way of a significant number of percentage of the population in really achieving what they deserve to and, and how they how they ought to get on. And, and if I just put a few statistics around that. So according to the 2021, um, according to the 2021 um, census, 18% of the UK population were of black and or minority ethnic um, origin and identified as black or ethnic minority. Add to that 18% or compare to that 18% that only 6% of school leaders in the UK currently identify as black and minority uh, ethnic. Now that is a huge disconnect between 18% of the population and um, and only 6% of school leadership, it's a it's a massive disconnect and something that we've got to tackle. And so that's why I've got unleashing me, Sufian, joining us shortly. Hopefully, he's juggling this around children's bedtimes, and and so we're really pleased that he can join us. Um, but he's going to talk to us about how well understood is this problem and what can we do about it? And I think it's going to be fascinating to hear what he's got to say. So I was prompted to write my blog, um, write the blog about racial equity. Um, 
by reflecting on a fantastic event, hashtag REN, the Racial Equity Network Dinner. It grew from a really small organisation going back, um, just I think it was just, just a, a casual dinner hosted in Ampthill a few years ago. And it's grown now to an enormous event, 480 educators, largely people from, from the education world and, and largely education leaders or teachers. Um, 480 tickets apparently sold faster than um, Glastonbury, which is amazing. And, and attending that is what really prompted me to start to think about racial equity and the, the problems, the challenges that are faced by a significant number of people and the fact that we don't have a society with racial equity. And there are so many barriers. And I'm totally honest, I'm honest in my blog and I, I will be honest now. Um, as a white British woman, I have to admit to not always being as absolutely acutely aware of the reality of the inequality of the system and the challenges faced by those identifying as black and minority ethnic. Um, the speakers at Hashtag Rend, and this evening isn't about advertising um, that event, but it, it is, I do just have to, to mention it really, because it, it was really attending that event and talking afterwards that has really made those challenges totally acutely clear to me. Um, but also presenting an optimism of, of how we can challenge and, and move towards a more equitable society. So, as, as I've said, 2021 census showed that 18% of the, the population in the UK are of um, a black, Asian or mixed ethnic group. And only 6% of school leaders identify as black, a minority ethnic. I mean, ironically, we are talking about the global minority and 6% of the school leaders in the UK. And we think about those school leaders, people running schools, and they are such important role models. And, and if I think back to my own days, my own school days, um, as a as a woman, as a as a white woman, but but as a as a girl, I was fifteen before I'd ever really seen a a woman in a senior position within a school, and it had taken all that time for me to be able to actually see a woman. And looking back now, I can realise just how pleased I was to see a female head teacher, a woman, quite a feisty woman, someone I identified with straight away. Um, and I, I really now, looking back, I can see how important that was to me. And I wonder, would I have believed some 20 years later that headship was a possibility for me if I hadn't seen this role carried out so convincingly, so well, so passionately? by someone that I identified with straight away. And, and I could probably, looking back now, when I first became a head, I, I definitely saw myself as being a little bit like Mrs Bagshaw. She was fantastic. Consciously or subconsciously, I hadn't realised quite how important that was. And thinking about children of black and minority ethnic backgrounds, how impactful might that lack of representation be? So, again, 
hearing those speakers for the last two years has really opened my eyes up to that. So I'm going to invite Sufian, who's joined us now. Thank you, Sufian. Um, those of you who um, follow Twitter will know uh, Unleashing Me really well, no doubt. And um, I'm just, just going to invite him to, to join and to talk to us this evening. So, Sufian, welcome. I know you are doing this juggling, um, looking after your two lovely young children. And I know you are a hugely busy man with your role of Director of Talent at Chilton Learning Trust. So, um, I feel really privileged that you've joined us this evening on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, and and Sufian, just while you were connecting there and while you were uh, just joining in, I was just putting out those statistics about only 6% of school leaders identify as black and minority ethnic compared to 18% of the UK population. And, and you might have heard there as we were, were coming in, just talking about how I relate to that personally and bring bring things back to me as, as as a white woman having not seen until I was 15 someone female in a senior position in a school and and just thinking about the impact that that might be having on young people so Sufian can I join you to welcome us and say hello I believe I've unmuted you are yeah. you are you able to say hello hello I can hear you great to Great to hear you, and thank you again for joining us, Sufian. It's an absolute pleasure, Maxine, and thank you for having me on. Uh, can you hear me clearly? I can hear you very, very clearly. And I've, I've got a message coming up here from Claire, who's joined as well. Um, Claire from the ACB saying she can hear us, and it's all excellent. working. So excellent. <laughs> so for, like you say, uh, sadly, it's a statistic that is... A reflection, and I think it's the fairest way to say, is a reflection of the society we're in. And not only is the problem, we, we often hear about the problems in the police. We've heard about it in the army. We've recently heard about the spate of abuse that has been identified in English cricket and the reports. And this statistic is like every other statistic that we see across the board, which just goes to indicate that education is some, somehow not free of institutional systemic racism, because if it exists in so many other walks of life and all of our data suggests that we have serious problems, then it looks like we've got to accept we have serious problems. And that that's certainly does make sense and we we often think about education as being forward thinking about having these elements of political correctness but but education is such a lever to society and to change in society and if if that is going on everywhere else and you know hearing things sadly about cricket even cricket and, and hearing about the police that does seem indicative doesn't it and I I must admit it's not something that I was acutely aware of until fairly recent years, and, and no thinking having having you know trained and been teaching for for twenty odd years, it, I, I have to put my hands up and say and this is something that I'm really thinking much more about now more than I ever have before, Sophia. And, and you know it is thank you to some really good events such as those that you've put on and some of the things that are out there in the education world. But it's early days, isn't it? it and it shouldn't be. 
it, it's very early days and i think george floyd was a sociological uh milestone where it allowed us to check ourselves as a society reflect as a society the problem i think is the assumption made that just because we talk about racism and we put something on for black history month and we talk about and we've attended a course on inclusive curriculum doesn't free us of the burden of what exists in our organization which is racism we the way we've got to challenge it is by working towards be, becoming anti-racists and that will mean accepting the fact that racism racism exists in our schools our institutions our trusts whatever the form of organization you're in it's almost guaranteed that you're faced with that challenge i'm often i often use that line where i say that don't tell my daughter that she can go and reach the moon when the chances of her in her primary school going 20 meters up the corridor and becoming a head teacher is nigh on impossible let alone going on the moon and that for us is with real challenges where we're saying actually we want the very best for our children from diverse backgrounds however while saying we want the very best and we want them to do incredibly well we're also guilty of not seeing talent when it doesn't look like us when it doesn't speak exactly like us when it doesn't behave like us when it doesn't socially uh display uh, characteristics or uh, lifestyle choices that we have we do not recognize that talent because when it's different and it doesn't fit our mold we quickly switch off and that's what we found in education it's uh, i often say that FTSE 100 have a statistic that there's more chris chris's more roberts more marks uh more david's uh any one of those names there'll be more ceos in the top 100 companies with a name uh that like david or robert than they are black or asian combined ceos of FTSE 100 companies so if you have the combined number of FTSE 100 company ceos have four there'll be seven marks six davids and the challenge we have in education is exactly the same you can go up and down organizations and what you'll find is that the profile of what you will find as ceos as head teachers will be virtually identical once you have a ethnic minority head teacher or leader the chance of surviving in leadership as an ethnic minority then becomes even more challenging because success rates of survival are a bit like being a black manager in the premiership that actually the board has less appetite so the number of black people being forced to sign non-disclosure kind of agreements uh, is something that's quite well documented because we'll give you money to be quiet but you need to leave and it covers a huge issue that's a secondary issue which we don't get to talk about which is 
around the fact that just becoming ahead isn't easy. Uh, staying ahead or uh, staying a senior leader is difficult. I often say that I'm in a landscape where the thought of being a CEO, at, when, when I look at, I'm very driven from those who know me, um, very goal orientated, but I also know that I've got to be realistic about dreams and ambitions because of the way I look. And that's a reality of the world and the life I live. I look a certain way. I belong to a certain faith. And my faith isn't the flavor of the month. And it's not something deemed positive in British society. It's not, I, I won't get the same treatment as my peers. My, my ability is irrelevant in reality. If you look at middle leaders, uh, it, you'll, you'll see schools where those churning out brilliant results will be from an ethnic minority background, but they can't progress, but their counterparts come in below them and stream past them uh, with ease, but we're unable to identify and call it out for what it is, which is that we have institutional issues around accepting the fact that when the talent doesn't look like us, we struggle with it. We're okay with you being brilliant teachers. So I always, one of the criteria I always ask people to say is, we, we tend to say to people, when we're looking at what is great performance, we either say academic ability. So look at that measure. We then say outcomes and performance. So let's look at somebody's results and their proven track record. Uh, let's look at somebody's experience. How many years have they got under the belt? And say, right, they've got the proven results. They've got, uh, let's look at mastery uh, in the craft of teaching uh, within the class because you don't get to display necessarily leadership very early on. People progress in education because they're good teachers and they tend to progress. But if you look at all of these factors, if you're ethnic minority, you can be a doctor, you can be um, somebody who possesses masters, uh, you can be somebody who has uh, lots of educational qualifications behind you, but it makes no difference to your progression to leadership. Uh, you can be someone that's very experienced, and we see that across the system. Experienced leaders going up against people with next to no experience, not being able to get it. You can have the mastery and the art of being a brilliant educator with outstanding performance and outcomes, and that's not enough. So the question is, what do you have to do as a black, as an Asian, as an ethnic minority leader to be seen? And the difficulty is, that's what I don't know, because I think that's the white people problem when I say that, because it's, I can't understand yeah. it because I need somebody else to say to me, uh, either is, I'm imagining this or it is a problem. And I think this is the conversation that white leaders and white people need to have in the educational landscape. Well, uh, certainly that's something looking at um, the, the, the excellent um, Viv Grant, who's set up Integrity Coaching, who's starting to try to, try to train white leaders as as being the key to ending racism Sufian, it it those statistics just don't 
add up to anything other than there must be racism in the system. And as an ex-head, that's a really difficult message. We're all very proud of our schools and, and seeing that and hearing that is difficult and we, we need to accept it. I wonder how well understood you think the problem is. How, how well aware are people, school leaders, the white folk of that problem? So of I, those statistics I, and the so reality. I, I think an example I could give is they used traditionally we used to look at safeguarding almost let's use the crude example of a paedophile. And you've heard those people say, look, just because somebody looks a certain way and they're wearing an anorak coat or whatever it is, those descriptors of how you identify someone and say that's what they look like. And you can't do that because you need education around safeguarding. You need to make sure you're constantly alert to it. You've got to accept the fact that every institution is susceptible, vulnerable to predators coming in. Hence why we all go over and beyond to yeah. make sure we safeguard our children, our young people, our institutions by doing the relevant checks and balances and so on and so forth. The problem with racism is everyone assumes it's a problem that doesn't exist within their household, within their school. It's an evil in society, but what people don't say, it's an evil in my institution. Now, with safeguarding, what we do accept is we are equally vulnerable to be exploited, to have young people taken advantage of, I would say again, if we use that same proactive brain where we say, am I saying to myself, my organization is equally vulnerable to racism. I'm susceptible to allowing practices to occur unless I put systems and processes in place to prevent that happening, unless I have regular education, training and updates, unless I challenge it where I see it, encourage people to call it out when they see it, give people safe spaces for calling it out when it happens, give victims the right to come forward and report it. Unless we say that, every school I go to in the country thinks it's a real evil in society, but not an evil they recognize in the organization, but one that exists in society. So what that means is no school thinks they have an issue of racism. Every leader says, I recruit based on in uh, the quality of the candidate. And I'll say this, and I'll say it very happily on record. I do a huge amount of recruitment. I'm very prominent in the recruitment landscape. I get to see a lot of recruitment practices nationally. And I will say to you, recruitment is inherently racist within education. When you have people that recruit in their own image, that is, you could go to institution after institution and see the similarities that are borne out between the leader and the teams that they recruit and the checks and balances that governance do not exist. And people are filtered out because of their names, which is a fact and it happens. People are filtered out because of their ethnicity and it happens. People are filtered out if they've got an accent that sounds remotely foreign. People like me are filtered out, and I always say this, I challenge anyone to take part in a social experiment where I can apply for a headship 
and listen to your governors, listen to your staff, because I'm very happy to present. I'm very happy to teach a lesson and do an assembly and meet staff. I'm very happy to do the interview. But I am almost certain that in many schools, people will say, Sufyan, you'd be great in Luton. You'd be yes. great in Birmingham. You'd be great in Bradford. But I'm, I'm not sure he's right for this community. So a, a white man is right for all communities. But Sufyan, you're just a great role model for Pakistani kids. No other kids. Why? And that's the the real crux of it, isn't it? And I think you've said, I mean, that that whole thing and knowing you really well, um, crikey, we would be absolutely privileged to have you anywhere as a school leader, Sophie, and, you know, knowing you well, knowing how skilled you are. That just calls me to think on two, two things, really. So first, like the safeguarding principle, that absolute focus on it could happen here and not thinking about it's just something that's happening there in society. And, and that's really interesting to allow that and to really try and nail that, that focus on that it could happen here. And the other thing that you've just said, just coming back to that, that thing about recruiting in your own image, our own biases and our own, um, like everything that we, we think comes through our own lens of, of who we are, our own background and experience and that thing about the image of ourselves. Thinking as a, as a coach, that's something that we are trained when we're, we're listening and we're working with coaching to try and put aside. And I, I wonder to what extent people really in their hearts are able to do that. And it, it, do, it is logical that that is a thing that's there. And it's so vital that we know it, call it out and change it because it's in, it, this inequity is, is just horrendous, Sophie. And, and hearing it from you, that's, uh, you know, it, it really is something that we've got to fight. So it is coming down to calling out to the white folks, the people like me, the, the Adrian Rogers and the, the people that are there in the system. I think I'm, I'm hearing you say there. Uh, and, and, and I say... The agents of change cannot be the black and Asian people in the system because uh, it's almost, again, saying, for me, racism is, racism is a form of abuse. It's an abuse that I've suffered most of my life. For you to then say that as the victim of the abuse, I'm the one who should be leading the fight yeah. uh, is in itself quite painful. To how does the system change? The system changes through agents of change that are more than just allies. Allies is someone who's going to stand by me, but I need someone to fight for me rather than just stand by me because somebody's got to say, right, I'm going to call this out because that does not seem right, that that person wasn't selected for that job and that person wasn't selected for that job. And we're now making a narrative fit the biases that we created and we're perpetuating this cycle endless cycle of black and brown people feeling feeling incredibly demotivated uh, i often say to people when you the, when you finish an interview be very very mindful about what they say in feedback listen to the feedback reflect 
unpick the feedback to the things that you genuinely can develop, but also remember that there are so many biases at play when you're going for a job. And I, I, I say to you, I'm extremely confident. I'm a very comfortable communicator. I like socializing a lot. I like networking. But I go into events and I am able to quickly pick up the prejudices that exist with those around me. Whether they know they're being prejudicial or not is a different thing. But it's, it's a bit like we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and now Sufians come, we're going to quickly talk about cricket or curry because apparently that's the only areas I can offer quality conversation in. And somebody's kind of almost inadvertently shown their hand around the biases that go in their brain. I, I always say, for example, I, I run one of the most successful teaching schools in the country, and that's a, a huge Huge honor for the fact that I have a team of brilliant people that are exceptionally talented. But if you look at the scale of the operation of what we run, if you then look at institutions and conferences, that if you are going to invite, so I get invited to conferences, often the invite is Sufyan, come on and talk about EDI issues, fine. But why can't Sufyan talk about the areas that you have barricaded off for intellectual superiority that belongs to white people, why can't I talk about uh, teaching and learning? Why can't I talk, talk about teacher development when I run one of the largest teacher development organizations in the country? Why don't I get a seat at the table to talk about developing teachers? Because actually, even when you let us in the room, you tell us where to sit in the room and which corner we stand in because your box is behavior or your box is community or your box is EDI. Stay within those boxes because this real meaty business of pedagogy and practice and the intellectual stuff of leadership and strategy, that's our stuff. So when we're going in to try and let you in, you know what the schools are going to say, we've got a great guy, a black guy on our team. He's fabulous with the kids. Whoa, whoa. Couldn't have guessed that, could I? Because he's just good for the banter with the kids or he's really good for behavior management and he's got great rapport. Why aren't we saying that actually some of the best educators we've met, some of the best pedagogical thinkers we've met, yeah, actually that person should have a seat at the table because they're brilliant in the classroom. And I think that exists, whether it's done maliciously or not, we have that problem within the systems that even when we let people into the room to talk about an issue, we let them talk about issues that we want them to talk about. We want them lead in areas we reckon they can lead on. But what we're struggling with is the idea and notion that black and Asian people can be CEOs. That's kind of a, a notion too far. Black and Asian people can be uh, head teachers we're struggling with, deputy heads, the statistics are shocking. But actually, we're all right around assistant head for maths, assistant head for science will we'll take you on because actually you've got proven credentials within the class. We need you to fix our maths and English. We'll take you on for behavior. Uh, and you'll work really hard, 
but I don't think you're going to progress because we're still going to bring in our mates for progression because our mates look like us. And we, when we, when we see them, we think they're great because we see ourselves and because we think we're great. And every human has that thing about how amazing they are. They look for people that are like them and say, Oh my God, they're great. So I think we've got to look in the mirror, all of us white folk, and we've got to look in the mirror and we've got to reflect on everything that we're doing. And that that is huge. And I've heard that assumption many times before about the black teacher who's good with banter, who will be great and, and will be a great role model for a particular group of a particular group of students, you know, for, for boys, for black boys. And thinking about what you've just said then about maths and science and some of those assumptions. They they are real. They are they are out there, Sufian. And how do we challenge that and how do we change it? I think I, I see my role as a professional pain in the ass and I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy I'm happy with that role. I'm happy to challenge the system. I'm happy to call it out. Yeah. But I I can and the benefit is I can because I'm in an organization that's supportive. Uh, secondly, yeah. I, I'm in a position of leadership where I run a division, an institution that is highly successful. And therefore, I'm granted the blessings of a platform that allow me to challenge it. The average bod in education from a black and Asian background cannot say and do what I'm doing without absolutely getting lynched for it at work challenged uh there's i've had numerous occasions where people have said to me they're offended by what i say they don't like what i say they feel uncomfortable with what i say i've had people complain about me speaking in places and i'm okay with it because that's my intention uh, i don't want to walk away thinking I delivered something and everyone was really comfortable. Well, actually, if there's a problem, the people, the biggest problem is people are comfortable being racist. Then I want to be the one that makes them uncomfortable being racist. And so I'm okay with people not enjoying it, not liking it, not and complaining or whatever it may be. But I can, I'm afforded that by the institution, by the backing and by the fact that I'm in a very fortunate position. So I would say up and down, one of the things I see is in the next week or so, we're going to do Black History Month. And people are going to pull out pictures of Muhammad Ali and Nelson Mandela and Usain Bolt and Jay-Z and Beyonce and do all the stereotypical polarizing us, not showing all Americanized black culture, not showing anything or depicting the slavery as somehow that's the only contribution that black people have made to society is the, the, the period of slavery, which only highlights what went wrong uh, by this country more than any other country. Uh, and it's probably a more of a self-reflection of how hideously poor we were as a nation, yeah. uh, rather than anything positive. When are we going to say, right, actually, to get Black History Month right, it shouldn't be the one black member of staff leading the assemblies and doing things. It shouldn't be about the one black member reading the, leading the Equality and Diversity Committee. It has to come from the very top. And the organization and its leaders need to identify that 
unless they become the catalysts for change, change will never come. Unless they accept and identify that it is possible that I am racist. And I think I would implore you to yeah. do the same, Maxine, because unless we all say, have I been biased yeah. towards people before? And we will all remember and think of occasions where we have, but it's yeah. far better being that person that says, I'm going to ask myself the question, am I susceptible to this? Have I done this before? Do I feel like this? When I meet people that look really different, am I at ease around them? Am I uncomfortable? When people talk to me about certain things, how do I feel? Uh, when, when I talk about different communities, am I okay sitting in the staff room and people are talking about refugees in a disparaging way, uh, migrants in a disparaging way, Roma children in a disparaging way? Do I sit there and listen and not challenge when I know that if they're saying this, the chances of that being borne out in acts of racism or stereotyping or excluding more black children from that school, uh, punishing children of different backgrounds more easily and more harshly when because they look different uh, and picking issues out from them, treating parents at parents' evening in a patronizing, in a condescending way because they're different or they come from a different background to us. And when interviewing teachers yeah, or shortlisting, are we immediately looking for names and making bold assertions and assumptions that because of their background, surely they can't be a very good teacher. Unless we have those questions answered at the very top table of our institutions, unless each person doesn't say, the chances of me being racist are there. And I believe yeah. it's better to start with the notion that we are all racist and then work down a deduction model of, I'm, let's try and not be racist, then say, none of us are racist and therefore it becomes nobody's problem if everyone's introspective like that and reflective we will get somewhere if everyone listening says i'm not like that and it's not something i recognize in my friends in my family and i've never sat there in the pub or over christmas dinner and listened to family blag on about how horrendous these migrants are and how this country has been ruined by all of these foreigners coming in. And I've not challenged it for being incorrect at times. I've not challenged stereotypical views when they're talking about Meghan Markle in the most disparaging way. I've never wrong with me. I think that's absolutely fascinating and absolutely spot on. So we start off by looking at ourselves and if we have and inherently the likelihood is everybody has a racist tendency and has been racist at some point we take it we own it and then from that point we can start to challenge ourselves particularly those of us who are in positions of leadership but really everybody I think that's what you're saying Sophia isn't it yeah I think I think that's the easiest action. It doesn't require strategy. It doesn't require governance discussions. It requires nothing. It's ask yourself the question, are you a racist? When have I been biased? When have I stood by and, and listened to something and not directly challenged it? Exactly. Thank you.
Sophian, I'm aware you've got some youngsters. There's just one thing I want to challenge, and that's um, you say you can say all this and be a professional nuisance just because you're you're part of Chilton and so on. Can I also just add a few things about your track record? There's not everybody um, organises an event and gets the tickets to sell faster than Glastonbury, Sophian, and <laughs> makes it and makes it it's just such a tremendous evening. And you know, at, at the hashtag Ren Dinner, it it is amazing and here those speakers is is a real catalyst for change so you are doing so much so thank, thank you very much. much and yes you're absolutely right hugely successful teaching school um director or director of talent Sophian, finding amazing teachers and and other staff for schools you bring so much to that organization so so every thank bit you that you much. get from them uh, is really very much very much appreciated thank you so much you. Um, and I know you've got um, two young children to get to and I certainly having met your daughter um, really hope that, that everything and your your wonderful your wonderful little boy as well and just really want this to be right for them and for everybody else from um, an ethnic minority background so thank you so much thank for you. being thank with you us this much. evening Thank you. I'm pleased to come over and see the animals again. Sometime. I, I will do. I will do. Thank, <laughs> you. Thank you. Thanks ever so much. Bye bye. Well, a huge thank you to to Sophie in there. And my goodness, that was really quite challenging listening. Um, you know, Sophie describes himself as a as a pain in the ass, pain in the backside, and for making some of those challenging statements to to us, to the white folk, and that's. That's not easy listening, that, that level of reflection. And as, as, as a coach, that's one of the things that we do learn to do a little bit, actually, to look and recognise what bias we have. And, and when we're talking to people, what judgments are we making? And I've, I've learned some really interesting things about myself and, and hearing that from Sufian. That's not easy listening. And, you know, as, as any other, if there's any school leaders listening to hear that, that message and likening it as well to, to safeguarding and that the, the good practice to always think it could happen here. Good practice with racism and with anti-racism is to think not just it could happen here, but one step beyond, it, it almost certainly is happening here at some at some point. And that is very, very difficult, I think, for for any school leaders, but absolutely, absolutely vital if we're going to move on and if we're going to really make those steps forward. And and I've met Sufian's little girl and the fact that there would be any doubt that she can't have the most successful life um, is just totally totally wrong. I'm going to take us to the news just now and to our advertisers. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support, whether it's a simple contract check 
or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is considering significant reform of air levels in England, which, according to the BBC, could see the introduction of what it calls a new British baccalaureate. The PM's plans could include the compulsory study of maths and English up to the age of 18, as reported in the Daily Telegraph. It's not the first time Mr Sunak has considered a shake-up, having previously said, during an unsuccessful leadership campaign last year, that he wanted all young people to study maths to 18. Foreign Office Minister Andrew Mitchell told BBC Radio 4 that he expects Mr Sunak to agree to reform of the education system and said the government will be guided by the best expertise on how we ratchet up standards. Concern about any proposed changes have already been raised by unions and other post-16 professional associations, particularly around the existing issues of recruitment, retention and concerns around workload. A spokesperson for the Sixth Form Colleges Association said the post-16 curriculum was narrow by international standards, and this was partly reflective of chronic underinvestment in sixth form education since 2010. The BBC also features an article on the fall in numbers of students being accepted into universities in the UK, the first fall in five years. Applications also fell after demand rose during the pandemic. Fewer students got into their first choice of university this year, but more qualified for their second choice or accepted places through clearing. The new data from UCAS shows 270,350 UK 18-year-olds were accepted onto a course this year, down from 275,390 in 2022. UCAS says the figures show a return to normal growth following the surge of demand seen during the pandemic. Data for individual universities is not yet available. Last week on Teachers Talk Radio News, we featured reaction to the latest data published on suspensions and exclusions. In a linked story, Schools Week has published further analysis, this time focusing on data from schools linked to incoming Ofsted Chief Inspector Sir Martin Oliver. The analysis reported in the article suggests the Outwood Grange Academy's Trust secondaries excluded twice as many pupils as other schools in some of their regions. At a pre-appointment hearing before the Education Committee last month, Sir Martin was challenged by MPs over the Trust's high suspension rates. Sir Martin responded, Our figures for permanent exclusions are lower than most in the areas in which we work. Schools Week says the data for the Trust's 13 secondary schools in Yorkshire and Humber had a 0.31 exclusion rate, the equivalent of three in every 1,000 pupils, compared to 0.17 across the region's other secondaries. In the northeast, the Trust 7 secondaries had a rate of 0.64, compared to 0.3 in others. Kim Johnson, the only committee MP to vote against the appointment of Sir Martin, said he should be brought back to answer for his words. Frank Norris, an education advisor for the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, 
said the original comments could be viewed as misleading. A trust spokesperson told Schools Week that Sir Martin was comparing exclusion rates between some individual outward schools to some of the other schools in the same local authorities with similar profiles. The spokesperson also added that the schools had been underperforming for years and had now been transformed by the trust. More details of the Schools Week analysis and full commentary can be found online. In Ireland, the Irish Independent reports on what it calls radical changes in how students are assessed as being on the way in a move to combat the threat of AI platforms such as ChatGPT. Higher education colleges are already being told to abandon certain forms of assessment because they are no longer sufficiently robust to award scores which count towards official grades. These include do-at-home assignments or essays, unsupervised online assessments and multiple choice quizzes which are conducted online. There will be greater reliance on oral assessments to check understanding and systems to identify if students have cheated by using AI. However, colleges are being told to resist any temptation to switch back to traditional end-of-semester formal exams. Instead, they should consider short-term re-weighting of assessments whilst they formulate a long-term plan. Finally, this week saw Education Secretary Gillian Keegan comment in the House of Commons that children she had visited in schools affected by poor quality concrete, known as RAC, had been petitioning me to stay in the porter cabin because they preferred it to the actual classroom. Ms Keegan's comments were met with derision by many, saying it showed a chronic lack of understanding of the poor quality facilities schools had been using for many years, particularly since the cancellation of the project to rebuild many schools. However, Downing Street defended the comments, saying it reflected a conversation with children and that the department and leaders had worked hard to make sure children had been unaffected by the current challenge. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And hello, I'm back again, back in, um, back in after the news. So quite a challenging time for teachers overall. Um, and again, just listening about how difficult teaching is at the moment and hearing some of that really difficult stuff on the news about how hard things are actually for teachers then it's really really important I think even more important again than than before because we're thinking about black and ethnic minority teachers and how difficult we've just heard from Sufian times are for them adding that into the other difficulties that that we've got here for teachers overall this is a real time for us in education and and myself I, I still work in schools and support schools it is a time that we really need to be working together I think absolute vital time to be able to be actually thinking so some of the key things then that we heard from Sophia were about that bias that that is in all of us, that is there where we sometimes feel uncomfortable with people who don't look like us and don't sound like us. And again, really thinking, um, really thinking about recruitment and about how we treat colleagues. I've just read 
Claire's note that, that said about how relevant her thoughts are here about recruitment. So again, Claire says, thank you, Claire, for commenting. I'd be really interested in, in anything anybody else has got to um got to say on this where she's she's just commented that um, thinking about recruitment and people who list experience overseas and discussion about how this is relevant do they have the knowledge so much to offer if even if experience is different should be celebrated and embraced Claire says so yeah just because people haven't been in the same system doing the same things it doesn't mean that experience isn't um, relevant and sometimes I think when we talk about experience some people could have done the same thing year in year out and not really developed it moved it on and you know taken it, it to be something that's very fascinating or that, that is any better so really important to think like that so just going back um, and thinking about, about some of the speakers and some of the things that I, I wrote about in my blog on, on racial equity, echoing what Sufian had said about um, some of the real life experiences that, that some of the speakers I heard um, at, at the REND event and, and that I've spoken to before that and since, I actually find, in a way, I did start when I was first thinking, finding it diff, uh, finding it surprising to think that some of these things are still happening in the 21st century. And then when I think again and I listen to Sufian speak and I hear about the reality of our world at the moment and how much racism is actually out there, we probably can't be surprised that it's happening in schools and that key thing, that key message about it could be happening here. It, it probably is. And owning that and being honest and really looking in the mirror and, and thinking about our own views and our own bias is just so vital. So some of the leaders that, that I've spoken to and, and that I heard speak spoke really clearly about being regularly passed over for promotions and seeing people of white backgrounds progressing much quicker than they had even when they'd been there longer or they've actually got relevant experience or being told they don't have enough experience when they they really know and being given less opportunity to lead on initiatives and some of the some of the black leaders who were talking were were there saying that they'd had to prove themselves so much more that they'd actually had to be better than their white counterparts to to make the same level of achievement. And and Sufian spoke about the the classic example for black teachers, particularly black men, is being told you can handle the naughty kids. I see you more as a pastoral type person. Teaching and learning isn't the right fit for you. Yet we've got some people who are fantastic at curriculum. And, you know, we talked to, to Sufian and, and he's been here. I'm really mindful that I've invited him on to talk about racial equity or the lack of, whereas he could talk about recruitment. He can talk about running a really successful teaching school. But I'm glad that he's spoken so passionately about racial equity this evening. But we do recognise that there is, there is so much about, uh, so much more to him. So some fascinating, some fascinating things here. And one of the key messages is that it is about white leaders, white people in the system who can really make a difference. 
So that's making me think about Black History Month that's coming up. So we're on the 22nd of September today. So we'll be putting the plans together for Black History Month. So I wonder how many of us will go back into school and just look at what is on the curriculum, what is on the schedule for Black History Month. Have we got the black teacher? And it may well be that we only have one or two black and ethnic minority teachers. Have we got the one black teacher leading on it? Or if we got somebody white leading on that, really putting themselves forward as a catalyst for change. What are we teaching? Is it all that stereotyped, Americanized stuff and a story of slavery? Or is it something really different, really worthwhile, and actually really causing us to do that reflection and look at ourselves and look back at, at, at our own biases and to think about that much more carefully. I wonder about Black History Month, what we'll be doing. And it certainly caused me to think about going into the schools that I work with and, and support at the moment to, to dig into that a little bit more. Um, again, Claire's just asked a really good question. Do you think people don't realise they're being racist? They will say, I'm not racist because they don't use certain words, etc. They don't realise about things like cricket curry example that Sophie gave. Claire, I, I agree with you totally. And I think because it, it is such a such a powerful issue, that whole idea of racism, that somebody speaking out and actually admitting that they have racist views or that they do have some, um, they're aware of some stereotypes that they've made themselves or some assumptions makes it all the harder. So I think, I think people and I think white people just shut down, deny it because it is quite uncomfortable to dig in and actually look at your own beliefs, assumptions and behaviours. And that, that feels really uncomfortable. You know, I'm just asking myself the questions as, as we sit here that, that Sophie and asked us to think about and to reflect on. And that's really uncomfortable. So it is much easier just to say, I'm not racist. And just think that that's as narrow as not using key words or not using racist language. To really think, am I anti-racist is much more difficult, I think. Again. Um, we're really fortunate to um, to hear some really good speakers um, just before the summer. And I was really fascinated by Professor Paul Miller, who also made a strong statement about racism. He, he says it's personal, it's institutional, it's systemic. Let's all take a common enemy approach to racism. And I think that common enemy approach does mean that we've got to all start looking at ourselves. Um, Hannah Wilson, who's on Twitter as um, at ethical underscore leader, um, she gave us a call to action and said, let's disrupt and dismantle. Allyship is not enough. And Sufian said just the same this evening. Allyship isn't enough. Just standing by, supporting isn't enough. Actually, we all need to be powerful disruptors. Um, again, um, Darren, Dr. Darren Wallace, fantastic speaker, one of the most intelligent, 
clar- oh, the clarity of speech. It's just fantastic. He spoke, at, he, I heard him speak at length about the depth of change needed. And he explained that we must be deeply committed to racial equity. And he says, we must, we often hear that there's power in our diversity, but let me be clear about why it's powerful. And, and he went on to say, It's powerful when we stand together across lines of race, across lines of gender and across lines of social class. Because when an issue gets mounted, the education of our children, for example, it cannot be relegated to simply being a black issue or a brown issue or a white issue. It cannot be relegated to being an issue just for girls or just for boys. It cannot be relegated to simply being an issue just for the working classes, but it is an issue for all of us. That's the power in our diversity. That's when we all stand together undivided. And I think that whole idea about standing together, about being undivided, is so important. Um, Again, what an amazing speaker. Again, hearing um, the fantastic Luton MP, and, and without being political, I think we're probably not allowed to be political. I have to say, Sarah Rowan, what a fantastic fantastic politician with her sleeves rolled up getting out into the community all the time what a great role model and she spoke of of her own stories and she actually said please continue the fight because we're behind you all the way and she spoke about the power of education and the importance of belonging and again we need to look at, at that belonging and what are we doing in schools to make sure that all all children feel like they belong and that's that's absolutely vital and and she went on to say when people feel like they belong they feel safe when they don't feel like they belong if they don't see role models who look like them who sound like them when they don't continually get the same level of treatment that all children get they won't feel safe so that's absolutely absolutely vital Again, just reading an article in The Guardian um, back in 20, from 2022 tells a story of four head teachers and Jose, Josephine Ockenden, head of St Martin's in the Field High School for Girls in London, explained. My race became an issue very early in my career as a teacher and I began to discover these subtle, covert barriers. I was often the only female teacher of colour and I soon began to see the white teachers getting more encouragement, more support and more mentoring than me. I was left to fend for myself. Whenever I was I put myself forward for promotion, I was told that I needed more experience. But they'd look at the white teachers who had moved, moved up and I'd think they've got the same, if not slightly less experience than me. She went on to say, as I gradually worked my way up, I found that there was anything, anything but a multicultural mix in the school at all. It stopped at middle leadership. After that level, school governors are the ones making the recruitment governors, making the recruitment decisions. And and as a governor, that really made me think. And again, thinking about those senior teacher decisions and and thinking about where I'm I'm a board of governors and, and the board isn't a diverse board. It's even more vital that we have some really clear, in-depth work on our own biases so that we don't, if we come to the point of of, um, 
ever having to appoint a head so that we don't make the mistake of appointing somebody because they look like us and sound like us. And, and again, as, as governors, that's absolutely vital. As whitehead teachers with senior teachers, that's absolutely vital to take that time and to look and reflect on ourselves. Someone that I was absolutely fascinated to hear from is actually one of Sufian's old teachers. And it's really, really interesting whenever um, Sufian is, is around Dr. Patrice Evans, who is the fantastic um, deputy head at, at Chalney uh, Boys School. Um, and again, that, that's where Sufian himself went. And, and people are always like that, aren't they? When someone's been your teacher, quite often, you'll find they're always a little bit, um, you know, sort of very, very respectful to them. Not that Sufian isn't respectful to, to everybody, but there, there is definitely something there that he, he really, really looks up to, to Dr. Patrice. And again, I'm going to finish tonight with um, a statement that um, I got from Dr. Patrice. Dr. Patrice said, I look at you right now and I smile. I'm heartened by the range of diversity in the room. You have each other. People will throw stones, but pick them up and build empires with them. And Dr. Patrice was talking to that whole room of, of people, people of black and ethnic minority background and, and white people that, that were there. And, and as Sufian said, it's not just the people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds who need to do the work here. It is the white people and it's the white people who really have that power um, and who can do that and can make th those changes and do just as Dr. Patrice says. When people are throwing stones, pick them up and build empires with them. So I'm going to pause it there and I'm going to thank you very much for, for listening this evening. And again, thank you ever so much for your, your comments this evening. And I know you'll join me in saying a huge thank you to, to Sufian for joining us and for sharing not just his own experiences, but giving us some strong messages about what we have to do. And again, like Dr. Patrice says, pick up the stones that are thrown and build empires with them. People here, particularly white people, have got a really important role to play in being anti-racist. Allyship is not enough. Standing and supporting isn't enough. Looking at ourselves, really carefully analysing any of our beliefs, any of our biases, owning them, thinking about how we're going to act more positively thinking about our behaviours is absolutely vital. So thank you very much once again to Sufian and thank you so much to all of you for listening. Good night. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. 
Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Edapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. Edapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.